Okay, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. What happens in John chapter 11? What have we been looking at? Famous for Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. What's the score there, Pastor? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I did too, but I don't know what this was. Okay. Okay. This is from the bank. Oh, cool. All right. Let's uh, let's pray. Kitty too that we saw in the parking lot. Okay, I think the... it might have kittens. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Well, it's nipples. Well, we like it. Okay. Yeah, okay. 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 <laughs> We're praying for you. And for the kitty, and then the kitten. Okay. Father, once again, we we come uh, to you, thanking you for your word. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to study. Your word and and to see this miracle, yes. uh, which is the greatest public miracle I think that you did. Um, we weren't there to actually see it, but we have the eyewitness reports and we have your word, which we trust and, uh, and have good reason for, for believing. And uh, but uh, the real issue here is not so much the resurrection, but our belief in the one who who did it and uh, um, being saved through that belief. So I pray that you work in our hearts this morning to open your word to us and to understand what you're saying to us. And we pray this in Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, last time, and let me, everybody has notes, right? Mm -hmm. um, last time we spent the entire time talking about the, the, the introduction and the notes there. Uh, so there were seven signs in John's gospel, seven signs, what he calls them. They're miracles, right? They're, remember that a miracle is not, Dad used this illustration, and I think it's a good one. Uh, sometimes people say, well, I saw a sunset, and it was, it was, it was a miracle. And, well, that's not a miracle. It may be miraculous, you know, from the standpoint of the fact that it even exists, and that it's as beautiful as it is, but, um, but it's not a miracle. Miracle is something that violates the laws of physics. It isn't possible without some kind of supernatural invention. And uh, and so, but John likes to use the word, I do too, the word signs, because these miracles aren't just entertainment. They're there to tell us something about Jesus, right? That he is of God and from God. And what he is saying uh, to us, to them and to us, is to be listened to because it's um, so we looked at that and we looked at the seven signs that's on your notes we won't belabor that we spent most of the time in, in discussing who were the chief priests and the high priest priests priest priests okay everybody with me um, and the reason I kind of put that weird title in there is because as near as we can tell well, actually, not near as we tell. It's, it's pretty clear in the text. Uh, John, in chapter 18, is kind of um, 
we didn't have time to go through that, and, and it, it is referenced on your notes here, um, 18, 13 through 24. Uh, chapter 18 is where Jesus is arrested, and then he is taken first to Annas, and John is the only one, the only gospel that tells us this, okay? And um, uh, John then says that he, the high priest questioned him. But then when a few verses later, John turns around and says, no, Caiaphas actually is the high priest that year. And if you're not paying careful attention, you would say, well, wait a minute, I thought there was only one high priest. Why does he say two high priests? And the answer to that is that uh, even though, yes, in the law, uh, when God had established the priesthood through Aaron, there was one high priest, right? And there's, if you go back and reread all this, I know you read through the Bible and so on, um, there's, there's a lot of kind of interesting things that happen when a high priest dies, right? You know, I think one of them is, if I remember right, that, that there was, um, if somebody accidentally killed another person, they could run to the city of sanctuary, right? And, and they were they were safe as long as they stayed there until the high priest died, and then and then things changed. Okay. And, uh, okay. Kind of me right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no problem. Anyway, the point is the point is that the high priest uh, was in the, it was established to be something other than what it is by the time. Jesus and the disciples come on the scene, okay? So by the time that they come on the scene, this appears to be, you might say, more of a political office. It's far more political, and, uh, and, and uh, um, well, let's just leave it at that. It's far more political than it is uh, worshipful and, 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 uh, and spiritual, okay? Um, and so by this point, Annas had been high priest for quite a while, but the Romans, he was so corrupt, the Romans actually replaced him with his son-in-law, Caiaphas, and uh, I was listening to, to John MacArthur this week on this, and uh, he pointed, points out, um, you, you may remember, I think it's in, later on in Acts, Paul is um, called in front of the, uh, <clears throat> many of the Jewish religious leaders, right, and, and, and uh, he, he, Ananias is the high priest, and he says something to Paul, and Paul says, calls him a whitewashed tomb, right? And then that, one, of, one of those things near Paul slaps him and says, is that how you answer the high priest? And he says, I'm sorry, I didn't know he's a high priest. And, and what John's, John MacArthur's point is that there had been so many high priests coming in and out of that office that Paul didn't even know. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, who's the high priest du jour, right? You know, kind of thing. And so it just it, all of these clues in scripture uh, give us some some hints as to the corruption of the chief priests. Okay, so the chief priests are also known in the other gospels and in Acts as Sadducees. Okay, so the two groups are basically synonymous. Okay, um, the high priest itself was he was sort of the ringleader for these chief priests, and and uh, and. Um, and he also served as the chairman, you might say, or president of the Sanhedrin, okay? And it's also important, here's another important fact to remember, is that the majority of the Sanhedrin was made up of Sadducees, okay? 
There were a lot of Pharisees in there too, Nicodemus being one of them, right? We've already met him in chapter 3. It says that he was both a member of the Sanhedrin and it was also a Pharisee. So there were Pharisees on the Sanhedrin, but the majority of them uh, tended to be these chief priests slash Pharisees, okay? I wanted to read to you um, this is a little lengthy, but just bear with me because it sets, um, it, it, it gives us from some historians of the time, so these are some ancient historians, it really gives us an idea of how the populace saw these chief priests. And this is something I didn't know, okay? But I think with this background, when we read the text that we're going to see, and we see especially Caiaphas stand up and say, you know, we need stop fooling around. You got to do. We need to do something about this man, Jesus. Okay, uh, you'll understand why. Because let's just say they were not popular. Okay, they were not popular, and the main reason is, of course, is is that uh, uh, they had turned the temple worship into this money making racket. They were making money hand over fist at the expense of their own people, uh, which is ironic because they hated tax collectors for ostensibly doing the same thing, right? Taking money from their from their own people under the uh, under the authority of Rome, but here they were doing the same thing under the authority of God. Right? Just awful. Awful. So let me read you this. Now, confirmation that the temple was being turned into a marketplace during the time of Jesus can be found in some early Jewish writings. First of all, there is a record of the common practice of setting up money changers in the temple area during Passover. So what we're about, we're, as we're in chapter 11, we're on the eve of Passover, right? We're, we're just like a week, maybe a week and a half or so away from Passover. So just on the cusp of Passover. There are already crowds. Again. There are already crowds coming in, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, you said fly in for the weekend, right? You, you know, you, it took a while, and, it would take a long time to get there, so you'd stay there a while. Um, so, so there is a record of the common practice of setting up money changers in the temple area during Passover. The Talmud states the following. Beginning on the first of Adar, the month before Passover, a proclamation was made to the people that they should prepare the uh, shaklahim. On the fifth, 15th day of Adar, money changers were sent out to collect the half shekel for its donation. On the 25th day of Adar, money changers were installed in the temple itself to help in the collecting of the half-shekel donation. End quote. Not only were the money changers robbing the people, but history records that excessive prices were being charged by those who were selling animals used in temple sacrifice. For example, according to Leviticus 12, uh, 6 through 8, after an Israelite woman had given birth, she was to bring a sacrifice to the temple, preferably a sheep. But if she was poor, she could take remember, two doves or two pigeons for the sacrifice, right? For, for, for poor people, couldn't afford a lamb. Uh, since birds were much less expensive, one for a burnt offering and one for a sin offering. The Jewish Mishnah states that because of greed, the market for birds rose so much that not even the poor, poorer woman of the community, uh, probably means women, not even the poorer women of the community could afford them. Rabbi Shimon ben uh, Gamaliel, the elder, 
a leading rabbi of his time and descendant of Gamaliel, whom the Bible says trained the Apostle Paul as a Pharisee, before Paul had come to Christ, took immediate action to lower the market price. The Mishnah gives this account in Cruet 1.7. Quote, if a woman had given uh, birth five times during her life, after she brings a single sacrifice, she will be able to eat sacrificed foods once again. But she is still under oath to bring four more. It evidently came to pass that the cost of two birds rose dramatically to one gold Zuz. Rabin, Rabin Simon ben Gamaliel declared, quote, I pledge that before I go to bed this very night, the price of birds will fall, end quote. He headed straight to the courtyard and instructed the people to obey the following regulation. Quote, after giving birth five times, a woman needs to bring just one sacrificial offering to cover all five births. That very day, the price of birds plummeted to one quarter of a silver. Yeah, does that give you some idea yeah. of what's going on? I mean, I know, don't get lost in the money units that don't make sense. The point is that they were, um, they were, you know, supply and demand, as they say, right, going up. But they were taking advantage of the poor people that God specifically was looking out for in the law by allowing exceptions like this. If you can't afford a lamb, he didn't want you to go broke. So he has this alternative. The price of birds went, pardon the pun, sky high. So um, you're back to square one again. So it defeats the purpose of, of that exception. That God put in okay. Even many of the high priests during the first century seem to have given up their love of God for the love of money. Most notably, the high priest whom Jesus was brought before, Annas, whom we're going to meet in chapter 18, along with his five sons who succeeded him to that position. The temple sacrifice during their reigns can best be summed up by the words, the marketplace of the family of Annas. I've also heard it called the bazaars of Annas. Okay. So basically, the outer court of the temple area uh, had been, they essentially leased out stalls back there. And, and if you've seen any of the drawings or models, you know, they had several places that were a portico. They were sort of a, a covered open porch area, right? And it would be ideal, very, very similar to what you see in marketplaces now with a little covered thing with some pillars. You put a little, it protects your stuff in the rain, you know, or whatever else. Just, you know, same kind of practical thoughts that a vendor would have today for, for their little booth, same kind of thing. And so they would take a cut of all the action and then these people, because you're in the temple, just like when you go to the movie theater or you go to you know, Disney here a bit, you know, you're in, once you're trapped, you know, the prices kind of scooch up a little bit there, right? And and so, uh, bizarre's events. <laughs> That's what Jesus went into the temple to cleanse. That's what got him so worked up. Not once, but twice. Right? Remember, John was the one who tells us he did it at the beginning of his ministry, and then the other gospels at the end. The story in Josephus sheds some light on the actions of one member of his of this family, Annas the Younger, the man who had James, the writer of uh, the book of James in the Bible, stoned to death. Josephus states, quote, the high priest Ananias, uh, Ananus, after he had been relieved from his office, 
to some degree was respected and feared by the citizens, uh, but in a bad way, for he loved to hoard money. He became good friends with Albinus and of the newly installed high priest. He did so by offering them bribes. He also had wicked servants who associated with the most vile sort of characters and went to the threshing, thrashing floors and took the tithes that would uh, that belonged to the priests by force. Okay, so it is very much like a mafia kind of thing. So he took the tithes that were supposed to go to support the priests in the temple, took them by force, and beat anyone who would not give tithes to them. So the other high priests had followed him as well as his servants acted otherwise without anyone being able to stop them. So that some of the priests, those who were old and were being supported with those tithes, died for lack of food. As a matter of fact, Jewish history record records that these high priests who walked the temple courts during the first century were despised by the majority of the people for their brutality and hunger for money. So much so that there was a strong condemnation of these men. In the okay. That's why there was so much joy over the cleansing of temple. Yes. And that's also why, uh, you know, the other Gospels, you know, as we put, up, put all the pieces together, you have the raising of Lazarus, right, in front of this very prestigious crowd of, of uh, maybe even some of the wives and sons or daughters or relatives or close confidants or friends of these chief priests themselves, okay? Imagine you're, you're one of the, you know, snooty chief priests part of this, this racket going on. You come home and your wife's now a believer in Jesus. I'd rather your cage a little bit. <laughs> sure would. And so, and so with that, plus with the other, John doesn't tell us this, but the other gospels do that. That after after what we're going about to read, you know, that they had already said we need to really get serious about putting a stop to this Jesus, right? Uh, and, and they have this trial and everything. Then, uh, not just, but just a few days later, he rides into the temple or rides into Jerusalem on. The back of the donkey, right? And there's all this celebration and there's this whole sort of echo of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the final ingathering. And, and you remember our study of that, right? And, and there's all of this command to, to, to celebrate and the greenery and all of these things. And oh my goodness. And then what does he do? He goes straight to the temple and cleanses it again. The people love it. People love it. So, yes, so, so with all this background, let's read our text. John chapter 11, make sure I get my verses right, 45 through 57. Somebody want to read that for us? <clears throat> Therefore, Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, is this the right chapter? John 11, 45. Believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him 
And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient to you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he had not said, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And so they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize it. <laughs> Which further adds to his popularity. <laughs> Good, thank you. Well, easier said than done. We have corruption in our own government today. How hard is it to root that out? And we have a democratic, supposedly, democratic public system, right? Yeah, it's not, you're right, you would kind of think so, but you know, somebody has to organize the people. And they, remember, they did try to make him king, didn't they? When did they try to do that? Yeah, back in chapter 6. And by the way, it's another tidbit that John gives us that the Gospels don't. You know, remember, all four of them record that sign, but that's one detail that, that John puts in, and it helps to explain why Jesus so quickly broke up the festive mood in the crowd and quickly sent the disciples away, dismissed the crowd, and he went up to the mountain to pray because it was a temptation. He needed to get his heart right. Example for us, by the way. I've been, I've been under conviction. I just proved prayer that, myself too. I also proved that he was an upset man. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't understand how that would be such a. I mean, I did that. That had to be a battle. You know what I'm saying? He had. He had man, but he also had God sense, and it was. Yeah. You know, he was tempted. It said he was. He's tempted in the wilderness. But I'm just saying, we don't. We can't comprehend that. And that's right there is a good point that when he left, he gave his head right. That's exactly what's good terminology. He gave his head right. But you have to do the same thing when we face the stuff that we don't like or you know. That's right. He he was our he really truly was our example in all things. He didn't just say, you know, pray and follow because you guys are weak. I mean he demonstrates it, he shows it. But anyway, so the point is, back to your your point, uh, they did try to, to make him king by force. They were ready to do it. And Jesus said, No, not having any of that, right? So 
So how do you make a man who doesn't want to be king, king, right? That's why they were so excited when they, when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, because that was how a king came in that day uh, it, when he would come in peace, right? If he was riding on a horse, uh-oh, uh okay, there's war intentions, but if he come in riding on the back of a donkey, that's a peaceful intention. People get ready for that. They were excited. And you can even hear that in, in what we read at the very tail end of this of this. Tail uh, last few verses, uh, verse fifty-five to fifty-seven, right? The tail end of the chapter, right? They're buzzing already. Yeah. There's already buzzing going on, right? Becomes to the temple again. He's going to come in. They're in the, Where are they? They're in the temple, right? We see all this corruption. They're surrounded by all this corruption, and 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 the people are buzzing. They had heard. Of, some of them had seen firsthand the resurrection of Lazarus. Others had heard of it. Guarantee the people. Again, the people who were there to see that were were. Uh, the way John MacArthur describes it, you know, he says, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus, right? And then he says, invite him, let him go. And, he, and John said, and the curtain falls. And you can see that. Okay, He says, we don't really know what happened. Well, we do know what happened. Okay, The people were, <gasps> and then after their shock, some would start believing in him. They are really, really excited. And they go back into Jerusalem, and they start spreading the word everywhere. That's what happened. Because we see that, you know, the tail end of this chapter, and we're going to see it uh, in chapter 12 with the, with the, with the writing of, of the, the presentation of the kings, what I like to call it, triumphal entry, starting with verse, uh, verse 12 of chapter 12. <clears throat> and anyway, so the point is, there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of excitement about Jesus, okay? And not just anymore from rumors from you know some fishermen and backwater blue-collar guys that live up in Galilee but prominent wealthy connected people who are members of the Judean community and live right there near Jerusalem or in Jerusalem many of them related to these chief priests and Pharisees some of them Pharisees maybe even some chief priests themselves have seen this and come to believe okay John does say by the way in chapter 12 that, that many of the priests uh, were believing in him uh, but were afraid to say so okay so um, all this background now is putting pressure on leaders they're really feeling the pressure okay so let's go into our text uh, our outline the bottom of your second page on your notes everybody has notes right mm -hmm. i do have a few extras from the day you got notes maybe you got notes Okay. All right. Point number one, the crowd's reaction to the raising of Lazarus. Okay, this is verses 45 and 46. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Remember, how did they come? Why does it say they came with Mary? John is stressing this point again, that Jesus didn't go to the house and say, hey, we're all going to go over to the tomb and... And, and, and I'm going to turn this funeral into a resurrection party, okay? He didn't do that. He waited out there because in the providence of God, Mary's evacuation of the house brought all of these Jews who otherwise would have been very skeptical, very slow. Jesus had come in. And if they knew Jesus was the reason she was leaving, many of them would have stayed behind. Uh, which, which, again, is, it shows unbelief. 
right? And uh, but it also more than that, it shows God's ability to override unbelief, <laughs> okay, and and stubbornness of the heart. Anyway, so they come with Mary and had seen what he did, and it says they believed in him, okay. Um, it doesn't tell us whether it was a saving belief, whether they're regenerated at this point. Um, it doesn't tell us. I personally believe that at the preaching of Peter in Acts 2, right, it says 3,000 were added to the church that day, right? And, uh, and, and Peter stands up. That is, that is uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Where did all these 3,000 people in Jerusalem pop up out of? Right? They just pop out of the ground? No, 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 no. This is all preparation for that, okay? So where what, what does it mean they believed in him? Not exactly sure, but, but what John is telling us is whether they savingly believed or they were they were really on board with, with Jesus still and really saying, hey, there's no way this guy can't be the Messiah, right? They, it's, it's already starting to really turn the fans on for uh, the fire, the prairie fire that's starting to spread into Jerusalem, namely the popularity of Jesus. Uh, okay, so they believed in him. And I, I, I don't want to cast too much doubt on that, but I do want to remind us that back in chapter 2, uh, there were also many that believed in him, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them. Remember that? Right, so chapter 2, John at the very beginning of this gospel is setting us up to understand that there's little little B belief and big B belief, right? There are believers and make-believers, okay? And uh, and so uh, that, that would be uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, where it says that, okay? That they saw, many saw, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Okay. So, again, the text doesn't tell us the level of belief of these people. just says that many believed in him. But then look at verse 46. We touched on this briefly last time. But some of them went uh, to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Okay, so um, verse 46, are these non-believers then? All the translations that I looked at, the translators put that word but in there, which or something like that, that sets it in contrast between these two verses and seems to imply pretty strongly that the people in verse 46 are the ones who are still, despite what they saw, not believing. Okay, But I, I don't think that's really fair because there's no way, you know, even his enemies couldn't deny the miracles, right? Um, I don't think that all of these people in verse 46 are necessarily unbelievers. It's just that they, that they, many of them believed in him, and, and the crowd of believers and those who were still stubbornly not believing went and told the Pharisees, okay? I think that's what it's saying. I don't, you know, don't we see that? We see that quite often. I mean, like the example when Jesus was back in front of potentially Peter's house, and they raised the paralytic man through the roof. There were so many people there, the people gathered outside. But when I listened to what John MacArthur uh, told one time, and he said that those people, he considered them gawkers, onlookers, some believers, and some hatred. 
And he said the reason why he, I'm paraphrasing the word, but he said there was there were several groups of them. He said there were some there that followed because they were like, okay, who is this guy? The big buzz is about him. And then some of those, in which is really going to be cool one day when we get to be heaven, how many of those we see that came to know him through that we don't even know about? And then there were those that were on the boat, or not on the boat, on the bandwagon with all these the Jewish people, all the Pharisees and stuff, try to kill him. They were there. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you see that today. People will absolutely riot or protest because there's a group, you know. But there's a lot of, you see that quite often through scripture that this gathering of people, and I, we've talked about this before, I, I feel confident that there was the same people over and over and over again. It wouldn't be a long, long. You could probably see the same faces, not all the time, but a lot of times, same faces when he was back in that region they wanted to hear, they wanted to find out. And I, that's why I think a lot of the Jewish people, the, the, the leaders, some of the leaders came to know him but they were scared because they didn't want to lose their prominence and their, their status. But they knew who he was. Yeah. And I, I feel sorry for those that never did drop a knee and accept him because when you know and you don't and you don't accept him, those are the ones that's going to really pay the toll. Yes, that's right. Well, that's the judgment that the Lord promised yes. on the Jews. Yes. He said the eyes that have to see but don't see have the ears but they don't hear. Yes. And uh, that, that judgment was pronounced throughout the book of Acts the nation of Israel. Jesus clearly identified himself, but he gave him everything they need to know, to see, to know, confirm who he is and what he came to do. But they they would not believe, and so now they can't believe. They're, That's right. They're given over to the darkness. John in describing, John MacArthur describing that says, you know, you've got this spectrum, and I think he's right, Spectrum of Unbelief. In fact, that's the title of our notes, right? Unbelief on Trial. So it's probably a good time to talk about that. Is is you get the spectrum of unbelief. On the one end, you have those that are very just, just outwardly, viciously, openly in hatred against Jesus. And don't you dare talk to me for ever mention that name in my, you know, unless it's a curse word, you know. And they stub their toe and the first words out of their mouth, Jesus Christ, that's a curse word, right? Those that's that one end of the spectrum. Then you got the other end of the spectrum. Which is just indifference, you know, or 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 might even I would even take it a stretch a little further to say uh, you have people who who are you know positive about Jesus, right? They're, they're, you know, got some positive thoughts about him, and he's, he was a good man, and you got some respect for him. You actually see probably more of that than you do the open, outright, you know, hostile hatred um, and things. And there's a, and there's people in the, somewhere in the middle, you know, and you got a difference in there. Um, and, uh, you know, again, chapter six is such a clear, clear example of that, where it says many of his disciples, John 6, 66, yeah. many of his disciples, it doesn't say his enemies, it says his disciples, people who had positive thoughts, you know, affirming thoughts and had respect for Jesus. And just the day before had, had been part of that crowd that had wanted to make him king. Mm-hmm. It says many of them left, turned away and never came back. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why that was brought up is because you see that today. Yeah. They wanted us to have a clear picture. It, it, it's you, a you pr- see people doing, I'm sorry, you see people doing church hopping. You see people come in and just, right. what can you do for me? It's a feel good thing. It's not a personal relationship. That's exactly These right. guys and, and like people did not have that personal relationship with me. That's, right. that's what it boils down to is a personal relationship. It's a one on one thing. It's not, 
you can get your heaven. I can't get you heaven. It's between me and him. And uh, so I, it's sad that those guys did that. But we see a lot of that today. That's right. It's been a problem throughout all church history. Mm -hmm. It really has. Yeah. Jesus himself warned about it. Sermon on the Mount. Many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in you? That's all I never knew. Depart from me. The evidence is out there. Um, so, so uh, I, what the point I'm trying to get us to see is that verse 46, when I first read that because of the way it's translated, uh, it, it seems to imply that you know verse 45 are all the believers and verse 46 are the unbelievers, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. It just, it's just that some of them went to the Pharisees, and that's just John's point, is that some of them went to the Pharisees and told them. So then let's go on to the second point, which is the Sanhedrin convenes a council to put Jesus on trial. Um, there's some debate is, you know, whether this is really the Sanhedrin. I don't think there's really much debate about that because it is a council. It's the same word. In fact, in the ESV here, it's capitalized, that word council, in which I think the translators are right, that it is the Sanhedrin. It may not be the full assembly of the Sanhedrin, but it's enough of them what we would call today a quorum to be able to do business. Okay, there's no doubt about it because it's it's mixed company. It's both Pharisees and chief priests now. So remember that the the ones who are really kind of running the show administratively for pulling this council together and the, the part of the the whole temple system and the Sanhedrin and everything, which would have which was basically the high court of the land. Okay, uh, which would have convened <clears throat> largely under the auspices or through the control of the chief priests okay so notice verse 46 who is it that hears about us the pharisees right well, what did they in turn do verse 47 so the chief priests and pharisees gathered the capital c council the sanhedrin okay so notice that the pharisees then turned out pharisee doesn't say the pharisees gathered the council it says the pharisees and chief priests so there has to be some relay of the message <clears throat> from the people who were there to see this resurrection to the Pharisees and from the Pharisees now to the chief priests, among whom would be the high priest, Caiaphas, right, who is specifically mentioned there. So, so we have this, this message is getting to them, and the Pharisees can't listen. They, they can't convene the council because they don't have that kind of power. The chief, they need the chief priests in order to do this, but they know that the chief priests aren't going to be reluctant to do it. In fact, the chief priests are going to be quite willing to do it because Jesus had already poked his finger in their eyes many times. Many times he, he's attacking the Pharisees. So, for example, uh, the healing uh, in chapter 5 of the, the paralytic man and then in chapter 9 of the, of the man born blind. In both cases, remember that the healing was done in such a way that, that not only did Jesus himself violate the Sabbath traditions of the Pharisees, but he, he caused the person who got healed to do the same thing, right? Um, to carry more than they were supposed to on the day of the Sabbath, or to, to walk further than they were supposed to, to wash the, the, the uh, um, clay off of the eyes, that type of thing. And so um, Jesus had been largely, we hear more about the Pharisees in the Gospels because Jesus is constantly... <clears throat> Uh, running down their traditions, which they had they had brought their their own traditions and their rabbinic uh, commentaries and teaching up to the levels, or even trumping scripture, right, and replacing it. And Jesus is constantly tearing that down. But he does also attack when he goes to cleanse the temple, especially he's 
attacking the very heart of the chief priests and Sadducees' domain. Right? So both of these groups are gathering together now and are willing participants in this assembly of the Sanhedrin. What else the tail end of verse 47? What's the agenda? <laughs> what are we to do? For this man performs many fake signs. Is that what they say? Many signs. They could, you know, um, one of the points that John MacArthur again made, this is preaching on this passage, which I thought was good. He says, why do they skip so many uh, enemies of the the Bible today, which denied the signs of Jesus, he said, well, even his enemies at the time couldn't deny it. Right. You know, they couldn't deny it. And they knew that. And so there's, again, it just, John is really, you feel that, you feel how John is really pressing home this point that this raising of Lazarus was undeniable. Back in chapter 9, they tried to, to scooch around, you know, the healing of the man born blind. And, well, maybe it didn't really happen. Maybe it just looks like him. And, you know, those kind of weasel dodging excuses to try to admit, get out of admitting that an actual miracle had happened, right? But here, they're, they're trapped. They, they have nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. This man performs many sons. Don't miss that. That's true today, too. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I titled this belief, Unbelief on Trial. The evidence is in. It's very clear. You know, what they say here in result, the result of this trial, they put Jesus on trial, but really they are the ones on trial. They are the ones on trial here, and, and their conclusion by saying that we need to kill him, and we need to put him to death, shows the stubborn, hard-hearted uh, length that sinful hearts will go to in spite of all the evidence. You know? and, and that's why that's why, you know, in addition to the, the theological and historical and practical problems that I have with so-called healing ministries today, there's one other major problem with them. They don't save anybody. If Jesus' miracles didn't save everybody who saw them, what makes you think your little curing of somebody's headaches is going to save people? It's all about pass the offering plate and get more money for my next jet. It's not about anything to do with saving people. Okay? So, so anyway. All right. So, uh, so the chief priests and Pharisees gathered this council. What are we to do? This man performs many signs. Now, you know, it takes maybe five seconds to read these verses. The council was much longer than that, just like the conversation with Nicodemus, right? John is again boiling down to the bare necessity. But there was a lot of debate here, and we get we get just a little hint of that, a little whiff of that in the way that Caiaphas responds. Okay. So so there's there's this opening part of, of the agenda, which is what are we to do for this man performs many signs? And then so that's sort of the statement, right? That's why they're gathered. That's the reason for gathering this emergency session of the Sanhedrin. Now, then there's a debate, okay? What, what did they say? That's verse 48. Uh, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Oh, man. <laughs> so much to say about this, just this little portion right here. Um, if we let him go on like this, everyone will... We'll believe in him, and Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. 
<clears throat> had they been trying to stop him before now? Yeah. Give some examples. They were going to stone him, and he slipped by him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. He just disappeared. Says he went out. I think he used his magic powers. <laughs> magic. Uh, well, his I think he used. I think he used ordinary powers. means, but he. But yes, he did. However, he did. We had some debate about it, but the point is, it doesn't matter what we think because the text doesn't tell us. It just says That's he right. escaped. Uh, and that. What? When was that? Though? Do you remember? Um, he did some miracles. Chapter 8, chapter right before eight. chapter 9. As he's, literally, as he's leaving the temple, that's when he heals the man who's on blood, right? Or he's, he's leaving the temple. Why? Because they just tried to kill him. Before Abraham was, I am. And then they pick up stones to stone him. Which, by the way, they're not standing around in some random farmer's field somewhere out in the... They're in the temple. So what stones are they picking up to stone him with? The temple stones. The stones that were part of the ongoing still expansion and renovation project that was still going on at that time think about the irony of that you're going to stone your own messiah with temples with with stones that are, are intended to build the temple wow that wasn't his name no no but okay what 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 about uh the time in chapter seven when they tried to send the temple guard to arrest him and the guards come back empty-handed and they're just like flabbergasted and they say no man spoke like this man we never heard anything, anything like this. And they're like, what's wrong with you? You know, they're mad at their own guards who went out with good intentions to obey the command, but they came back and, and were just like, you know, it's just, it's a, to me, it's really funny. You okay. can just see their frustration. So, so they have all this frustration. And it wasn't like they hadn't been trying to get him. In fact, when you go back, all the way back, particularly chapter five is really where it starts to, it start the heat really starts, okay, and 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 so uh, and that was several years earlier, and so they have been trying to stop him. So when it says there, verse forty-eight, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. It's not as if they hadn't been trying. So you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, what is different now? You know, what they have this council here. What do they think they're going to do any different than what they've already been trying to do? It's not, it makes it sound like the way it's phrased, it makes it sound like they're saying, well, you know, we just really haven't been trying when they really had. What'd you say, Rick? I'm just saying the next part of the verse will sums it up. So and the, the, the whole thing is they're afraid they're going to lose their power. Right. And Rogan's going to come in. Which is interesting because they, 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 they reveal the real reason. Yeah. At this point. And they knew it. That's, the, that's the thing about it is they knew it. They knew it. So, so it's not like they hadn't been trying. Now notice that they're afraid of this, that everyone would believe in him, okay? Um, first of all, that's not true. That's an exaggeration. Not everybody is going to believe in him. Um, but to, to their point of view, but I think it hints a little bit at the desperation that they're feeling. The whole world is, you know, you ever feel like that? The whole world is against me today. You know, but, yeah, it's not. You know. <laughs> that's uh, kind of... I guess uh, when you say something like that, that kind of gets people on board. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We need to, it's, it's a rallying cry. Yeah, You're right. it's a rally. Yeah. Um, so, so let's come to the last part of this, verse 48. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and the nation. Now, why would the Romans care? 
Uh, and why would they even bring the Romans into this? Well, I think there's several things going on here. First of all, we see, remember this is a mixed group, the majority of whom is going to probably be the chief priests. And the chief priests had this close, cozy relationship with, um, with the Roman power, okay? And remember that the chief priest at the time, Caiaphas, had been appointed by Rome. Okay, so there's there is a there's a definite concern here that the Romans uh, that, that they could strain or or compromise this relationship. To, that's why I call it a political thing because they had been working in the politics, probably greasing some palms, you know, Pilate and some others, you know, to to kind of, you know, smooth the way, to just kind of look the other way as we do our own little thing here in our temple, and, you know, and, and we'll cut you a little slice of the pie, and whatever, you know, those kinds of things that, that go on. They had to charge so much for the lambs and the birds. They had to, you know, keep the Romans, the Romans <laughs> happy, you yeah. know. Well, Rome, Rome, was, Rome was happy as long as they got their taxes, but I think this was not a systemic thing, but maybe an individual. Anyway, the point is, you're right. They, they, the main reason they did is to have their own pockets. Yeah. And then some of that would maybe go to as bribes uh, as a, on a case by case basis. But they had built up a relationship with Rome. They didn't like, what I think is, is ironic here is they didn't like Rome. They didn't want Rome reigning over them. And yet all of a sudden now, when Jesus comes along, suddenly Rome doesn't look so bad. Right? You know, we will not, we have no king but. What? Caesar. Caesar. We will not have this man to reign over us. That that summarizes it so well. Right? Because now Rome looks so much better than Jesus. Because if Jesus were to take the throne, not only would he kick the Romans out, he'd kick us out too. <laughs> and we know that. You know, it's, it's a shame that Jesus didn't just stay on earth. I mean, just think how our lives would be today if Jesus were still on earth, you know? We wouldn't be staying. Well, he it's says it's better. He says it's for your it's, it's for your benefit to go away. <clears throat> so uh, everyone will come, Rome will come and take <clears throat> away, now watch this, both our place and our nation. <clears throat> I can't help <clears throat> but think, okay, so, so, Again, John MacArthur, when he's talking about this, he, he thinks that this is all trumped up and it's an imaginary charge on their part to, to rally everybody around this, this effort. I think, I think there was a genuine worry here. I think they were really threatened by Jesus. I don't think it was trumped up. I think it was, they were desperate. And, and they saw him, uh, they saw him uh, as a threat. And I think this is what we see here. Now, they say ostensibly, oh, we're, you know, not only is he going to take our, take our place, right, our positions of power and wealth and prestige and comfort. Oh, but there's the nation too, right? We're, we're, the, we're the good shepherds guarding the nation against this threat, right? You know, you're the bad shepherds from chapter 10, right? Um, who, is, who, is, who has become the threat to the nation. What is the irony of this is that um, in less than a hundred years, okay, Rome is going to do exactly that. They're going to come and take away their place and the nation. And tear down the temple. 
it. So did their little plan work? Did their plan work? No. No, it actually contributed to it. It actually contributed to it. Their one hope, had they embraced him as Messiah, how often have we gathered you, right? And had they repented of their sins, had they seen him for who he was, and had they had they accepted and embraced him, the one hope that the nation would actually survive was the one thing they were not willing to do. What a great irony it is that, that that's what John says. What is the lesson for us there? <laughs> yeah, boy, no kidding. No kidding. Right. Oh, there he is right there. All right, so we'll pick up next time in verse 49 and uh, what, Caiaphas, what Caiaphas has to say. But the point I'm trying to get us to see here is, is, this, is this is the concern, this is the debate, um, uh, verse 49, and, uh, and then there's sort of a divided company at this point, okay? They really haven't reached a decision until Caiaphas picks up and, and gives us his his point in verse 49, or what he has to say in verse 49. Any thoughts as we finish? Well, I want to, yeah. go ahead. Um, you know, this is about to be one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, and I, I, I did a study on one time before, but I got it highlighted, and it's just talking about the Romans will come, and I got it highlighted. It said that they feared that the escalating sonic expectation expectation to start a movement against Rome but Rome's oppression and occupy occupation that would cause the Romans to come and take all their rights away I know we've said that before but it's just amazing how they were so afraid of losing their clout their positions you yeah. know even those I think those there was probably some that, that had seriously considered knowing and knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was, but they were afraid to take that step of what they may be losing. That's right. That's right. Now, we see that again, like I said, I just mentioned that earlier, we do see that today. And then that's why we have to drive home. You know, this little minute time that we're on this earth, even though we may make it 80, 90, we just celebrated Richard's birthday yesterday, 80 years, you know, even if we make it 100, that's like. So it goes by so fast. Michael Card has a song that, that says, What will it take to keep you from Jesus? Mm. Simple excuse of a heart that is fired to reason is nothing wrong. You know, you're right. I mean, that's you know, for them, it was their wealth and prestige and comfort and power that they enjoyed, the prestige of the people, all of those things that they were afraid to let go of. And they lost it anyway. It kind of reminds us of what Jesus says about the one who wants to save his life will what? Lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, sober reminder, sober warning. As we see unbelief on trial here, um, they think that they're putting you on trial, but really you're the one putting them on trial. And the word of God is clear that with your own words, uh, you will be judged. And your own actions will judge you. Really. And they will pay each man according to what he's done. And, uh, and so I pray that you don't play favorites. Sometimes we, because we're Christian and we meet in a building that's got a cross on the outside, uh, we think that we're somehow mm -hmm. kind of 
better or, or in favor with you. The truth is we're not, Lord. And the truth is that you see all things and you're no uh, respecter of persons. Uh, you have been very gracious and merciful in opening our eyes. And, uh, and whatever little sacrifices we make in this life for you is not even worth being compared with uh, the glory that is to come. And so, um, but we don't do it because we're so much better or smarter than these people. We do so because of your calling, because of, of, of the grace that you've extended for regeneration, for salvation. And so we thank you for that truth and remind us of this this morning again. We may not walk in pride ourselves, but to be humbly thankful for what you have done and are doing. And if there's any anyone who maybe really needs to rethink what our belief level is, does it rise to the level of, of saving belief or is it just um, you know, friendliness toward Jesus? Um, and I pray that that would be clear as well and your spirit would do his work in our hearts that we may truly know you and knowing you find life. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.